Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran, a ministry of Worship Generation Church in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. So as we come to chapter 17, David has brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And we studied this last week, and that was that treasure chest, if you will, of gold that had within it the Ten Commandments that God gave Moses, and it represented the presence of God amongst the people. And the people of Israel had been in the Promised Land for over 400 years, and it had been in various tents or tabernacles, as they're called. And when David took the city of Jebus and made it Jerusalem, the capital for Israel, his capital. He wanted to have that centralized worship for the people as well, that essential political place. And now they were going to unify with the spiritual place of bringing the Ark of the Covenant there to Jerusalem. Now, after David steps into eternity, his son Solomon comes to power and he builds the temple. The Lord comes and fills the Holy of Holies with his presence at that dedication. So we know the Lord is in all of this. And so now David wakes up and he's like, wow, you know, like, this is awesome. I'm the king. We've got the ark here in this tent right there. I've got all these cedar homes. I own multiple properties. I'm the king. It's going good. We've given all of our enemies a beat down. We've put them in subjection. So there's no conflict right now. We're, we're holding a, a peace with everybody. And then he must have got the thought that I'm really rich and God's really poor. Because he's in his cedar house like he, like he had the best. You know, these new, like, Costa Mesa gentrified looking homes like yeah really like if you do it really nice in Huntington he's got these going up replacing all the old homes from the 30s and you're like wow like Keith and I were on the bike the other day we saw these ones they just finished there on Huntington so I'm like wow right so David had the wow houses and he's like looking out the window going like and there's the Lord in that little boy scout tent what's up with that he's like my God's not poor I'm wealthy and God's living like he's poor and he says we're the head not the tail so what's he doing living in a tent you can see how he would come to that conclusion. And so he gets this, he gets this idea like, hey, I, I, the Lord's in a, in a tent and we need him in a house. And Nathan the prophet goes, wow, of course, David, the Lord is with you. Do whatever you want. And then the Lord rebukes Nathan at night and goes, no, that's not the plan. And from there, the Lord speaks a word through Nathan to David that I never really asked anyone to build me a house. I've been with you the whole way. And in fact, I'm going to build you a house when you're God and in eternity. And from your legacy of your family, your house will become, become the king in this kingdom that will be everlasting and nothing can stop it. So David goes like, wow, that's crazy. So he, he quits talking and thinking about doing, and now he's sitting and thinking about listening. And he goes, it's implied he goes before the Lord, maybe at the tabernacle where the ark was. He goes, Lord, how can you do this for me? What, what is, who am I? And so he has the hows and the whats and the whos. And he just goes, Lord, you're amazing. See, he's, he's heard amazing grace and amazing mercy for him and his descendants. And he's just like, wow, he's just completely blown away. And he goes, Lord, you're pleased to do this. You've promised this. You're a blessing God. You say you're going to bless and you're going to bless because what you say you're going to bless, you're going to do. And that's the chapter. It's an amazing chapter. But to really bring it to a head is it starts out with what David's going to do for God. And God says, I've already done it, David. I've already done it. 
It's not what you're doing for me. It's what you're receiving from me. It's not about what you're going to make happen. It's about what I've already called to happen and you being a part of it. So it starts out with David saying, I want to do this for you. And God says, I'm going to give you a covenant and do so much more. That's the background to this story. And there's a key verse that pops up here in verse 11. In the middle of David being, in the middle of Nathan telling David what the Lord said in response to his request to build everything, this powerful uh, statement comes forth where it says this, excuse me, it's verse 12. Just going to grab the phrase. God said this, and I will establish his kingdom. That is this son that's going to come from David. He shall, that's a capital H, he shall build, my, build me a house and I will establish his throne forever. So David's like, wow, so one of my sons is going to be like this. But David is thinking sort of time, space, and matter or two-dimensional. And God's talking about the kingdom. He's talking about the glory. He's taking David's family and saying, hey, you'll see from you, Solomon will do this and some of these kings But I'm talking about something way bigger than that. And in fact, if we had any doubts about it, when we come to the New Testament in the Gospel of Luke, when the angel Gabriel came to Mary, this is what's recorded for us as a cross-reference that sheds light on this word that God spoke to David through Nathan the prophet. When the angel spoke to Mary... He said, you, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor. It's chapter 1, verse 30 of Luke. You have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob, that is Israel forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. This is the fulfillment, the expansion, the extension of the promise that God made to David is this promise of the birth of Jesus as a savior of the world. And we know that Jesus is the king of the Jews and he's the king of kings and lord of lords. We know that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, is for the Jew first and then all the nations, as Romans 1, 16 and 17 tell us. We understand that. The Jewish people under their covenant were entrusted with the scriptures and the promise that the Messiah of the universe would come through their ethnicity, their people, and specifically of the tribe of Judah and deliberately of the tribe of the, of the house of David within the tribe of Judah. And so when we read the Gospel of Luke, it's made clear that Jesus is the son that this passage of Chronicles is talking about. Jesus is the king, not Solomon. And the kingdom of God is the kingdom that he's talking about, the eternal kingdom. Like when Jesus said, they asked him how to pray, and he said, your kingdom come, your will be done, that kingdom. Now, we know the kingdom of God in the Old Testament to be right with God, and the kingdom of God advancing from the original sin with Adam, and how God blessed Abel, and then Noah, and then Abraham, and so on and so forth. It was always moved forward by faith. It was always faith in God, who he is, and what he promised, and believing it. It was never earned. No one ever earned salvation, heaven, the promises. They always heard them and believed them. For faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And Abraham believed God. It was accounted him for righteousness. And as it is said by Habakkuk, the just shall live by faith. So, as we look at this kingdom, from the original fall, from the head of our race, Adam... 
all the subsequential revelations and progressive covenants bringing us to Gabriel speaking to Mary that this kingdom, this king in this kingdom is the son of the Most High and is everlasting. Now we get the full blooming. I was with my grandkids a couple weeks ago. I was with them since then, but I was talking with Velzy, the four-year-old, and we're laying there in the sun, one of those first warm days of the last week or two, and we're laying on the back porch, and our flowers are blooming, and the bees are around, and the birds are chirping, and he goes, Papa, Papa, when a flower opens up, it's called blooming. I go, that's right, Velzy. You can see the flowers are blooming. And I said, and Velzy, when you're going forward with the Lord, you're blooming like a flower. Yeah, Papa, right? Well, all those promises of Christ were just moving forward through generations and generations. And then right there, when eternity comes to Mary, with the pronouncement of the virgin birth, boom. This passage blooms right before our eyes. It opens up to us. So now we know, looking at this Chronicles text, we're not just talking about Israel and all those 19 kings of Judah we studied in 2 Kings. We're talking about Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's who we're talking about. And we're not talking about the nation of Israel, per se. We're talking about the church of Jesus Christ because he gave the church the keys to the kingdom. And tonight, as we're gathered as a local church, part of the universal church, well, really, this is the black and white version where we have the color version, the fullness of this, as we look at the New Testament. This wonderful promise of this kingdom. So tonight, we want to look at this text in application, considering our place in the kingdom of God. Our place, each one of us, each human being on planet Earth, there's 8 billion of us, and those who open their heart to Christ, receive his spirit through faith, and are born from above, born again, we are in the kingdom. We are the kingdom of God on Earth. There's no other philosophy or human groups or religious organizations that are the kingdom. We must receive Christ. As many as received him, he gave them the right to become the children of God. So when we hear the gospel that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the grave, when we receive that message, and it's sincere, and the Lord knows it's sincere, we're born of the Spirit and we're born again. So we pass from death to life. And so now we're in the kingdom, and we have a place in the kingdom. Now, in recent months, I've talked a lot about Ephesians chapter 2, where we're told that we are God's workmanship, that we're not working for heaven. We've received the gift of heaven through faith in Jesus. But he has a unique workmanship, like a work of art for each of our lives, and we've been talking about that. As we look at this text tonight and we think about our place in the kingdom, because this is God having a conversation through Nathan to David about David's place in the kingdom. And the first point we see with all this is found in verse 7 of divine purpose. And we even say divine destiny, but we'll stick with divine purpose. But when you say divine purpose, you're really saying divine destiny as well. So David had this, I'm going to do this and and. Then the Lord comes back like, no, you're not going to do that. And then the Lord reminds him who's choosing who, who is saving who, and who's in charge of this universe. He says there in verse 7, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people Israel. See, David didn't earn that. He didn't take that to himself. It's not like... He just woke up one day like a great entrepreneur or businessman or woman and said, you know, I'm going to be the shepherd of Israel. I'm going to be the king of Israel. He was taking care of the sheep. That was a lowly job in that society. It is a minimum wage job. And in his family, he's the youngest and he's doing the, the household chores that no one 
wants to do. And he's protecting those sheep from the lion and the bear, bears. He's developing a relationship with the Lord in his own faith at that time. But that day when Samuel the prophet came to his father's house, Jesse, and they brought the, king, the, the sons of Jesse before Samuel to be the next king, none of them were it. And then they had to go get David out of the field from doing his minimum wage job out there in the barn or in the backyard. That sort of job you would never even, you just say, I don't want that job, and I hope I don't have that job. And if you're smart, you respect people who do that job because someone has to do it. That was David. See, Jesus would say, A thousand years later, before he stepped into eternity in glory to the apostles, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I chose you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. So when Matthew, the tax collector, left the tax booth and followed Jesus, he didn't really choose Jesus. Jesus chose him. Follow me. When Peter and Andrew and John and James followed Jesus, they didn't really choose him. He, He chose them. He said to them, follow me. And in fact, what's very interesting with David, he said, you were following the sheep. Did you catch the nuance of words here in the English language? You were following your dad's sheep, but I chose you to be a shepherd. He said, when I came into your world, I met you in your world. I met you in your world, and I related to you in your world. He did the same thing with Peter. Because he said to Peter, who's a fisherman, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. He did the same thing. See, the one who chooses us already knows everything about us. He knows our nuances, our personalities, our likes, our dislikes, our interests in these things. And he already, he made us when we're a single cell in our mother's womb. And that cell just multiplied in the beauty of origin and design. As the chromosomes do what they do. And, you know, it's so wild. It's, It's incredible. In this universe of trillions of galaxies, you're being fearfully and wonderfully made in your mother's womb, and that your soul knows well, David said in Psalm 139. He understood that God chose him, but here, when he becomes the king, he has to really understand, you didn't make this happen, I made this happen. In fact, God would say, I protected you, I established you, all that took place in this chapter. There's a ton of stuff in this chapter. In Ephesians, in the New Testament, we get a similar phrase that really gets our attention, and I want to read it to you. And I want to read it exactly the way it is. I could paraphrase it, but I prefer to say it exactly. In Ephesians chapter 1, now we talked about this Tuesday night. What we learn about the Lord as he reveals himself to humanity, it's about who he is and what he's done. And so often man's about what I'm going to do to earn God's favor. So the book of Romans, for example, is like 11 chapters of what God's done, and then the first instruction for people to respond to it. The book of Ephesians is similar. It's three chapters about what God's done, and then chapter four is about how we respond to it. God wants us to sit and think about who he is and what he's done, grasp it, receive it, and then respond to it. So in Ephesians chapter one, one of the most profound chapters in the entire Bible, Paul the apostle, led by the Holy Spirit, is talking about this concept that God chose us And he said in verse 3 of chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Well, that's amazing. He wants us to know right away we have every spiritual blessing we'll ever need. Hey, there's no children of a lesser God in this house tonight, WG. There's no children of a lesser God. There's no, there's no like, you know, the wrong kid in the wrong family. When we come to Christ... He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. 
just as he chose us in him, Jesus, before the foundation of the world. So before the world was ever formed, before God ever spoke into existence, before he ever said, let us make man and woman in our image, he, he chose us. We think of time like a parade, like the Huntington Parade on the 4th of July. Oh, they line up on PCH by 9th Street, and they come up Main Street, and they end over there by the Albertsons and, you know, all that. But God's above the parade. He's, he's in a different dimension. So he sees from the end from the beginning. So some concepts of how God works and how God's always been, and he's always been the Lord, always will to be the Lord, and all things are made by him and for him, and all things consist. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. We're like, I think it's kind of work on the Ten Commandments today, right? Like, but God is God and we are not. And as the heavens are above the earth, so are his thoughts and ways above ours. He makes that very clear. But here he's revealing a truth about you and me coming to Christ and our purpose on planet earth. And that's what we're getting at here. Our place in the kingdom of God. And he says, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy without blame. So know this, we're chosen to be set apart. We're chosen to be set apart. We're not like the world. We're not delusional. We're not deceived. We're not under the influence of demons, and we're definitely not pursuing death. We have truth, the way, and life in the person and the work and the promises of Jesus Christ. We are sanctified, which means set apart, holy. We're children of a very wealthy conglomerate, if you will. And we need to carry ourselves like that. We're not children of a poor upbringing, and poor opportunity. When we come to Christ, we're adopted into the family, and we have every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. And so the blessings are yes, and the promises are yes, and amen. And we need to understand that. So that we should be holy and blameless before him, have, he having loved us in love, so love is our mark, predestined us to adoption as sons of Jesus by Jesus Christ himself. So we're adopted in the family through our big brother Jesus, and that's built on in the scriptures a couple times in different places. It helps us understand human relations to understand our relationship with God through faith in Jesus, our mediator, and the way to the Father. But it says that all this was being chosen according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. It's his good pleasure. And it's kind of cool because at the end of this chapter of 1 Chronicles 17, David says, it it pleased you to do this. It pleased you to do this and bless my household and my offspring. And you say you're going to bless and you're going to bless and you do bless because when you say you're blessing, you're blessing. Our God's a blessing God. And God had chosen David long before David thought, your tent needs a house. Before David got his idea like, hey, God needs an upgrade. God's like, hey, 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 sit down. Let me explain to you how this works. When you were following the sheep, I chose you. And then I chose you for this purpose to be king. And this is important because we talked about workmanship, that God... Jesus saves us from our sins and from our past and from ourselves and being in Adam. And he saves us to being in Christ, to victory. And we're not hoping for victory. We're coming from victory. And he sets us free from the power of sin, the power of the devil, and the power of the grave. And he says, now let's get on with abundant life and let's live eternal life right now in time, space, and matter. And let's be holy so we can show the world what eternity looks like in time, space, and matter. That's what we're to look like. That's the legacy of the church of Jesus Christ when it's fruitful in the human experience for the last 2,000 years. That's who we want to be in our day-to-day experiences. Most of us are so worried about how we might share Christ with people. I'd be much more concerned how you live Christ before people than how you tell people about Jesus. 
Or as they say, your actions speak so loud, I can't hear a word you're saying. So we can do the showing, and then God will guide us with the speaking. We're chosen for a unique thing that's just us in the kingdom of God. And tonight, this text reminds us, go get it. Now, the second thing about our place in the kingdom is personal legacy. Now, as we go forth from chosen for that purpose, that divine purpose, that God has that plan. David was compared to sheep. Peter's compared to fish. And we find our identity and our purpose in Christ. So we have our place in the kingdom and we, co- we come from victory. Now we have this legacy. And, of course, again, I talk about this a lot because I guess if I'm a pitcher, this is just my favorite pitch when the game really matters. It's all about legacy. It's all about what our life is. And the older I get, the more I just see the vast majority of people do not live their life ever the way it's meant to be lived. And so I just want to exhort people from here to eternity to anyone that will listen to me, no matter where we're at in the journey, that you get your hustle on and you let God work in your life to do what he wants to do in your life so you finish well. I was riding with Keith Randolph the other day, and I said, you know, I'm kind of stumped on the eight pillars of always forward, and I've got sealed fruit, but I just feel like that's kind of a harder term to understand because, like, take action, divine purpose, positive attitude, you know, absolute priorities, clear goals. I have two words. I'm like, hey, Keith, I got two words for each of the eight pillars. I'm like, but sealed fruit's a tough one. And he said, how about finish well? Can I use that? He's like, yeah, it all, it all belongs to the Lord. You use whatever you want. Finish well. That's what sealed fruit is. Don't we all want to finish well? Now, you younger people go like, hey, we're just getting started. Maybe not. Maybe not. Every day is the day that we have, and we want to approach the value of that day and redeem that day. And this comes to us in the second phrase in verse 11 when God said, it shall be when your days are fulfilled when you must go. Now, we are reminded we must go. Like, when your days are fulfilled, I know some of you probably woke up today and you thought about when your days are fulfilled, right? Like, maybe you thought, like, hey, this could be the last day when my days are fulfilled. See, it's in my goals every day. Before I do anything, I remind myself that eternity's coming for me, and it might be today. Oh, man. It helps me not be afraid of the boogeyman. And it helps me to make sure who's on the throne. If you know eternity is coming for you today, man, the, the big bad boogeyman, he got nothing over you, man. The, gra- the grave's coming for you, and you better, like, hold on tight to Jesus. Like, that's what really matters. But what a reality it is, and so if you didn't think about it yet, today at 7.03 p.m. this night, on the 22nd of April of 2023, I want to remind you that your days, our days, will be fulfilled. And sometimes you can see it coming. Sometimes you know you're dying. Sometimes you can look at people and know they're dying. But sometimes you don't know it's going to go that way. And it's stunning and it's, it's heartbreaking. Man, when death comes, it just can come so fast. And when you're not prepared for it, it's just, it's just so, the days are fulfilled just like that. And whether you're nine years old trying to wrap your mind around the fact that you have terminal cancer and what does that mean? Or whether you're 93 and you realize it's all shutting down and you're fuzzy anyways because you've got dementia. It's, it's still coming for you when your days are fulfilled. And this phrase gets my attention. 
when you must go. I was thinking about this. I kind of want to go. Maybe you can relate to that. Like, you know, like, I thought about this. Because, you know, they had those, like, the superhero movies in the, around 2010, like, uh, Wolverine, those guys, like they've lived for like hundreds of centuries. You know, you see those with the kids, like they, they, so it shows them fighting in the Civil War, fighting in World War I. I'm like, who wants to do that? Golly jeepers, Mr. Wilson, who wants to do that? I don't want to live for centuries and centuries and centuries and outlive everybody else from that timeline. I mean, I got my hands full with 80 on the clock, and so do you. When you must go, David, when he stepped in eternity, he said, I go the way of all men, and we must go. That is an amazing reality that all of us have. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, Visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and our church YouTube channel. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. For more information about Pastor Joey personally, You can follow him on his Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube channel. Thanks for listening, and God bless.